If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 663. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me an email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title, read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. Always free to enroll. Get that free class, 10 Myths of American History, when you do enroll. And get great deals on new and forthcoming courses. Purchase a course there, 1 or 20. You keep this podcast free of charge. It's a great way to support the show and get something great out of it. It's a win-win for you. Also, click on the support tab at brianmcclanahan.com. You can throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching the video on YouTube, click on that little super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way if you enjoyed these videos. Also, click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. And as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Let people know you're thinking locally and acting locally. Share it around on social media and send me those show requests. I do read them. May not always respond back to you, but I do read what you want to hear. All right. Well, we had July 4th. We've talking a lot this week about uh, nationalism. We're talking a lot this week about you know, the meaning of July 4th. And of course, one of the things that we get into that with that is this idea of all men are created equal. When we read that Gerald Ford speech on the bicentennial, July 4th, 1976, it's a confusing speech. There's some accurate history in it. And then there's this loaded proposition nation garbage. And of course, he's not the first to do this. There have been a lot of people that have done this. In fact, this piece at AP, I was surprised about because it gets into the ongoing debate about what that term actually means. It's a good piece. I mean, shockingly enough, it's a good piece. Now, I'm going to read this because I think it hits the highlights in this ongoing debate as to what that term actually meant. And did Jefferson even think it was that important? I would say Jefferson downplayed it. Now, the Straussians, like Michael Anton and others, don't think that. In fact, that was one of the main arguments they made against me when I published that piece last year in Chronicles, where I was very critical of the 1776 commission report. And for good reason. I mean, it's based on this proposition nation stuff. Now, somebody sent me a, an email the other day. And it had in it uh, several slides from the new Florida standards for teaching civics or government or history in their K through 12 classes. And you know what it is? It's all 1776 commission report. It starts with the proposition nation. Then it has Frederick Douglass and uh, all the stuff that the left would actually, you know, 20, 30 years ago, this is the stuff the left would have done. So essentially all the Straussians are doing is just regurgitating old discarded leftist talking points and calling it conservative. Whereas the left has moved on from that. And they're just saying, look, we don't believe in any of that stuff anymore. Yes, uh, the proposition nation is real, but no one upheld the proposition nation until we got to critical race theory, until we got to the 1960s and 70s, and we really started talking about how bad it was in America for any people of color. And it's all uh, you know, white Americans that have made it this way, right? So no one really believed it. And in some ways, you know what? 
They're right. This is what I said. The, the, the 1619 Project and the Straussians are two sides of the same coin. They both believe in the proposition nation. The only difference is the Straussians think that uh, the United States has upheld these values of the proposition nation, whereas the CRT 1619 people don't. And I mean, look, if you look at Lincoln, Lincoln, uh, in terms of what we would call racist today, made some very racist statements all the way through his political career. I mean, he, he was consistent in these things up until the day he died. People often point to his last public speech that he made in April of 1865, where he talked about giving former soldiers uh, the, the right to vote. But um, regardless... Uh, Lincoln never really believed that whites and blacks were equal. He did believe that they had earned some type of political equality because of their service, but that's it. I mean, Lincoln was not necessarily on board with doing anything more than that. And even there, he was going to face some political backlash for that. And, um, and of course, it never we never saw this happen because Lincoln was assassinated. But I want to talk about this piece again because it's so good. It gets through the it gets to the heart of the issue with this proposition nation. And in fact, when I've said things like, well, uh, you know, Jefferson didn't even believe it uh, to a point. Um, the conservatives go nuts about that. And they would say that sounds very leftist. And in fact, a couple of leftist historians would agree with me on this. Sometimes they get things right. Jefferson downplayed the, the importance of this proposition nation myth. So let me start with this. The, the title of this piece is The Long Ongoing Debate Over All Men Are Created Equal. It's by uh, Heliel Itali. Kevin Jennings is CEO of the Lambda Legal Organization, a prominent advocate for LGBTQ rights. He sees his mission in part as fulfilling the, that hollowed American principle, all men are created equal. Those words say to me, do better, America. And what I mean by that is we have never been a country where people were truly equal, Jennings says. It's an aspiration to continue to work towards, and we're not there yet. Now, let me stop there, because that's exactly what a neoconservative or a Straussian would say about this. Here you have a guy that's the head of a left-wing organization, and that statement is the exact same thing the neoconservatives and the Straussians would say. There's no difference. This is what I say. The Straussians are digging their own grave, because... If you believe in the proposition nation, then it has to be an ongoing revolution. Because when do you stop? When do you say everyone's equal? How do you define equality? When is the revolution over? As Gary Will said, you know, Lincoln revolutionized the revolution with this idea of a proposition nation. Now, that was not the first time Lincoln made a statement like that. And if you take my reading Abraham Lincoln class at McClanahan Academy... I get into other instances where Lincoln said the exact same thing. And this piece actually talks about the abolitionists and how they took it. They took this, this phrase and they ran with it after Jefferson wrote it. Ryan T. Anderson is president of the Conservative Ethics and Public Policy Center. He too believes that all men are created equal. For him, the words mean we all have the same dignity. We all count equally. No one is disposable. No one is a second-class citizen. At the same time, he says not everyone has an equal right to marry, what he and other conservatives regard as the legal union of a man and woman. Quote, I don't think human equality requires redefining what marriage is, he says. So, again, he says, I believe that all men are created equal. I believe in these things. But how do you define equality? And in his mind, that doesn't have to do with things like marriage. But if you say everyone's equal under the law, then, I mean, where do you come down on that? I mean, this is where you get into this whole 
situation of equality. What does that actually mean in American society and in the American polity? What does it mean at the state level? What does it mean at the federal level? And so that term is loaded. And again, if you believe in the proposition nation, you are more in line with Kevin Jennings than Ryan Anderson. Ryan Anderson would say, well, it stops. But if you go with the proposition nation, it can never stop. Jennings is actually correct about this. Few words in American history are invoked as often as those from the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, published nearly 250 years ago. And few are more difficult to define. The music and the economy of all men are created equal, make it both universal and elusive, adaptable to viewpoints, social, racial, economic, otherwise with little or no common ground. How we use them often depends less on how we came into this world than on what kind of world we want to live in. It's as if all men are created equal leads us to ask, and then what? Again, the perpetual revolution. It leads to a perpetual revolution. If you firmly believe that that's the proposition of America, that America is formed on an idea, then it has to be a continual revolution because there will never be an end game to it. Because when you, okay, well, we get to political equality. Everyone can vote. Well, but that's not good enough. Now we have to go to social equality. Everyone's equal socially. Then we have to go to economic equality where everyone has the same outcome. We have to go to educational equality. We have to go to, I mean, take your pick. It has to happen. And everyone knows it's literally impossible. This is impossible to do. There's, there's never been a, situ a situation in all of human history where you had any of this stuff. But it leads to a continual process by which America can be toppled and remade, toppled and remade. And the left is, of course, always driving the toppling. And they're the ones in charge when they go to remake it. The United States was remade in the 1860s, politically, economically, and socially. It was remade. And it was remade again in the 1960s. And the left is trying to remake it again in the 2020s. They're trying to remake it. They want to topple it and remake it. And every time they do, the conservatives then hold on to what the last toppling was as being conservative. In fact, the Straussians are all just 19th century liberals. That's all they are. Now, they're a little bit behind, but they're hanging on to these old platitudes and slogans. And they think if they just can control what that term means, everything's going to be okay, but they never will. That's the issue. We say all men are created equal, but does that mean we need to make everyone entirely equal at all times? Or does it mean everyone gets a fair shot, says Michael Waldrum, president of the Brennan Center for Justice, which of course is also a left-wing organization, which promotes expanded voting rights, public financing of political campaigns, and other progressive causes. Individualism is baked into that phrase, but also a broader, more egalitarian vision. There's a lot there. You see, the issue is that no one really goes back to, I mean, what did the founding generation mean? And this piece actually addresses that, which I think is, is rather interesting. Thomas Jefferson helped immortalize the expression, but he didn't invent it. The words in some form date back centuries before the Declaration were even preceded in 1776 by Virginia's Declaration of Rights, which stated that all men are by nature equally free and independent. Peter Onuf, a professor emeritus at the University of Virginia, whose books include The Mind of Thomas Jefferson, notes that Jefferson himself did not claim to have said something radically new and wrote, in 1825, the Declaration lacked originality of principle or sentiment. This is what I've said. This is what I said to Michael Anton. This wasn't radically new. It wasn't something that Jefferson even took a lot of time to think about. 
And of course, that phrase, all men are created equal, would mean that these colonists were equal to their brethren over in the British Isles when it came to political equality as freemen, right? So you can easily see, I mean, they, they had major distinctions in all of these things. That was not the core of the Declaration. The Declaration is an independence document. It's a secession document. That's the whole, it's an indictment of the king, just like the English Bill of Rights was an indictment of the king. The Declaration follows a similar format. The Declaration is really not an original much at all. I mean, there are some things Jefferson says in it that are important, but originality? I think Jefferson was correct about this. So the piece continues, the Declaration was an indictment of the British monarchy, but not a statement of justice for all. For the slave-owning Jefferson and most of his new fellow patriots and slave people were property and therefore not included in these new policies or polite uh, uh, new politics leaving their status unchanged, O'Neill says. He added that did not mean that he did not recognize his enslaved people to be people, just as they could only enjoy those universal natural rights elsewhere in a country of their own, emancipation and expatriation. So Jefferson, of course, did, you know, he was interested in colonization, but this is right. I mean, you can be born free and equal, as the Virginia Declaration of Rights says. You, you're a person, but you couldn't do it in that society because society then had constraints. This is something that Albert Taylor Bledsoe spent a lot of time writing about in his book, Liberty and Slavery. If you ever read that, he, he talks, he tries to make a distinction between these things philosophically, that you can have these, you can have, you can be born free and equal, but you can still lose those things because of society. So natural rights would only translate into something else because society does have constraints even on natural rights. You can naturally have these things, but society can put constraints on those. Just like you can lose your liberty if you're arrested for a crime. You have a natural right to liberty, but yet your natural right to liberty now has been infringed because you're in jail, because you committed a crime. So there are, I mean, you have to look at these things, and he, he deals a lot with that. If you want to read it, and I, maybe one day I'll go through this, but this is what he, he responds to. This idea that all men are created equal. Southerners were wrestling with this in the 1830s, 40s, and 50s because it was being thrown in their face. Well, here, all men are created equal. And they said, wait a second here, hold on. What does that actually mean? It doesn't mean what you say it means. Hannah Spahn, a professor at the John F. Kennedy Institute in Berlin and author of the upcoming Black Reason, White Feeling, the Jeffersonian Enlightenment in the African-American Tradition, says that a draft version of the Declaration made clear that Jefferson meant all humans were created equal, but not necessarily that all humans were equal under the law. Spahn, like such leading Revolutionary War scholars as Jack Rakove, believes that all men are created equal originally referred less to individual equality than to the rights of a people as a whole to self-government. I would actually agree with her on this. It goes back to the Anglo-American traditions. right? They're equal under the law or political equality. And he says, you know, not equal under the law. It's political equality as freemen, right? You, you had to make the caveat, there's freemen here. If you're a freeman, then you're equal under the law and it would be a group of people, political equality. I, I, I actually uh, think this is getting more in line with what Jefferson was talking about here and what the founding generation was talking about when they um, subscribed to this back in the 18th century. And of course, John Taylor of Caroline later said, well, look, we, we kind of got in on this, but then we realized this is going to be dangerous and it was all just a bunch of bunk and we abandoned it. Once the declaration had been issued, 
perceptions began to change. Black Americans were among the first to change them, notably the New England-based clergyman Lemuel Haynes. Soon after July 4th, Haynes wrote, Liberty further extended our free thoughts on the illegality of slavekeeping, an essay not published until 18, I'm sorry, 1983, but seen as reflecting the feelings of many in the black community with his call to affirm that even an African has equality as good a right to his liberty in common with Englishmen, equally as good a right to his liberty. Even an African, right? So this is interesting because, as I said, the 1619 Project makes this case. Look, you throw this line out there, and certain people believed it, and they ran with it. The black community, the abolitionists, and they started pushing this proposition nation belief. And so when the 1619 people say, we believe in it, right? Black Americans believe in it. They've been the most forceful in believing in it long before everybody else. Uh, I mean, there's not they're not making an incorrect statement there because I don't think the founding generation really believed in it. Not the way that some people did and not the way it was used in the 19th century. It's only been since the 1860s and Abraham Lincoln that we've seen a shift in how people do this. Spahn finds Haynes' response philosophically innovative because he isolated the passage containing the famous phrase from the rest of the Declaration and made it express timeless, universal, binding norms. He deliberately downplayed Jefferson's original emphasis on problems of collective assent and consent, she says. Again, I mean, I, I don't think there's anything incorrect about what Hannah Spahn is saying here. Uh, Jefferson himself did not really believe it. The founding generation did not really believe it. Not in the way that, not in the way that we interpret it today in particular. They believed it in a different sense, but not in the way that we believe it today or that has been argued today. If you go back to the beginning, not in the way that Kevin Jennings believes in it, for example. The words have since been endlessly adapted and reinterpreted by feminists at the Seneca Falls Convention of 1848, who stated, We hold these truths to be self-evident that all men and women are created equal. By civil rights leaders from Frederick Douglass to the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr., who in his I Have a Dream speech held up the phrase as a sacred promise to black Americans. By Abraham Lincoln, who invoked them in the Gettysburg Address and elsewhere, but with a narrower scope than what King imagined a century later. In Lincoln's time, according to historian Eric Foner, they made a careful distinction between natural, civil, political, and social rights. One can enjoy equality in one, but not another. Again, I think Foner is correct about that. I mean, there was certainly a distinction in all these things. But you'll notice in the previous paragraph, who was using this phrase? Well, you have abolitionists. You have women's rights advocates. You have Abraham Lincoln. It's the left has always used this to their advantage. So if you're going to hold this up and believe in the proposition nation, you're just a 19th century leftist. That's all you are. You don't really want to conserve anything of the original founding. And I'm not even just talking about race or uh, you know gender roles or anything like that. But the idea of equality is not the loaded term that people turned it into in the 19th century and then 20th century. Foner says, Lincoln spoke of equality and natural rights, life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. The fiery, uh, I'm sorry, but that is why slavery is wrong and why people have an equal right to the fruits of the labor. Political rights were determined by the majority and could be limited by them. Again, I think Foner is correct about this. Lincoln made that distinction. He would say, look, 
I don't think people should be enslaved. I think they have a right to the bread that they earn. But then beyond that, you can be your rights can be circumscribed. You don't have to have you don't have to give them political rights. You don't have to give them any rights. They just have the right to uh, to not be a slave. That was it. That was it. That's as far as it really went for Lincoln for most of his life. And I would think even till the end. It's really as far as it went for Lincoln. The words have been denied entirely. John C. Calhoun, the South Carolina senator and vehement defender of slavery, found not a word of truth in them as he attacked the phrase during his speech in 1848. Vice President Alexander H. Stevens of the Confederate States contended in 1861 that, quote, the great truth is the Negro is not equal to the white man, that slavery subordination to the superior race is his natural and normal condition. So that's, I mean, Calhoun was making statements against the phrase, and so did many Southerners, but the, the Stevens quote is a little confusing there because it's, um, it's it's distorting what he's actually talking about there, and and you're you're playing that off Lincoln, right? So this equality does equality mean not slavery? Does it mean pro-slavery, anti-slavery? What does that mean? Um, you know, how how does this work? I mean, so slavery is a whole other issue with this term. You're you're kind of you're you're blending them together. The piece does, and I don't think that's that's proper to do it that way. The overturning of Roe v. Wade and other recent Supreme Court decisions has led some activists to wonder if all men are created equal still has any meaning. Robin Marty, author of Handbook for a Post-Roe America, calls the phrase a bromide for those who ignore how unequal our lives truly are. Marty added that the upcoming uh, upending of abortion rights has given the unborn greater protection than most, a contention echoed in part by Roe opponents who have said that all men are created equal includes the unborn. Among contemporary politicians and other public figures, the words are applied to very different ends. President Donald Trump cited them in October 2020 in a statement forbidding federal agencies from teaching critical race theory. President Joe Biden echoed the language of Seneca Falls while praising labor unions last month as he addressed an AFL-CIO gathering in Philadelphia. I pointed this out about Joe Biden. He uses the Seneca Falls phrase, not the original phrase. This is an important distinction to make. I've said this, you know, Joe Biden is not citing the Declaration. He's citing the Seneca Falls Convention, which is why I included that in my 26 speeches that changed America, because it did. Right? This is what Joe Biden cites. Morse Tan, Dean of Liberty University, the evangelical school co-founded by the Reverend Jerry Falwell Sr., says the words uphold a classic, long-standing Judeo-Christian notion. The irreducible worth and value that all human beings have because they are created in the image of God. Secular humanists note Jefferson's own religious skepticism and fit his words and worldview within 18th century Enlightenment thinking, emphasizing human reason over faith. Conservative organizations from the Claremont Institute to the Heritage Foundation regard all men are created equal as proof that affirmative action and other government programs addressing racism are unnecessary and contrary to the idea of a colorblind system. Now, I mentioned this before because those are both Straussian institutions, Claremont and Heritage. Heritage is run by Larry Arnold. He's a Straussian. Claremont is a bunch of Straussians. The problem with it, they say, well, uh, they get to determine where all men are created equal stops, right? So uh, th- that would mean equality means colorblind, right? So then you go to the flip side and you start using affirmative action or critical race theory. That's not really saying people, you have some people have privileges over others. Whereas the CRT people in the 1619 Project people will say, well, you know, white people have privileges over others all the time. So, I mean, we're, we're, they're, they're going back and forth here. The real problem is the entire phrase to begin with. The Claremont people believe in the proposition nation, but it just has to stop. This is the issue. It stops at a certain point, and we accomplished it. We accomplished it essentially, accomplished it essentially in the 1960s, is what they would say. 
right? That's when it. That's when we got to the point with uh, Martin Luther King, uh, you know, saying we're going to judge people by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. For the, for the Straussians, that's when it stops. Right there, we achieved full. All men are created equal. That's it. Whereas the revolutionaries would say, we've never gotten there. We've never gotten there. We have to keep going. Ibram X. Kendi, the award-winning author and director of the Center for uh, Anti-Racist Research at Boston University. I mean, the, the Center for Anti-Racist Research. We need Northern Studies programs in the South. Says the words can serve what he calls both anti-racist and anti-assimilationist perspectives. Quote, the anti-racist idea suggests that all racial groups are biologically inherently equal. The anti-assimilationist idea is that all racial groups are created equal, but it leaves open the idea that some racial groups become inferior by nurture, meaning some racial groups are inferior culturally or behaviorally, says Kendi, whose books include Stamp from the Beginning, How to Be an Anti- and How to Be an Anti-Racist. To be an anti-racist is to recognize that it's not just that we are created equal or biologically equal, it's that all racial groups are equals. And if there, is, if there are disparities between those equal racial groups, then it is a result of racist policy or structural racism and not the inferiority or superiority of a racial group. So again, Kendi and the Claremont people would actually be in line with this. I mean, there's some, all groups are equal. And we're not judging anything. We have these different groups. Everyone sees that. But it's structure that creates these problems. So that's where the piece ends and kind of leaves off there. All the piece really did was bring out all these different discordant groups that are saying that we have this phrase and what does it mean and conservatives say this and leftists say this and historians say this and progressives say this. And uh, I mean, Jefferson said this. The real issue is the phrase itself and being taken to the extent that it is as being kind of like this this second, this secular, uh, sorry, this... Uh, this uh, scripture, as Pauli Meyer called it, American scripture. It's scripture in America. This this second paragraph of the Declaration, when in reality the last paragraph is the most important. But when you go back again, 1976 and Gerald Ford and all the people that have used the phrase, all the neocons, all the leftists, you're missing the entire structure of America when you do that. And that's the real issue with it. All right. So, Hope you enjoyed this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. I'll see you tomorrow for the next one. See you then. 